Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm reporting from the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC Conference that took place earlier this week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In this first segment of the show, I play speeches from Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer, and then from OMB Deputy Director for Management, Margaret Weikirk. First, we hear from Suzette Kent, the Federal CIO. I'm going to talk about some of the goals that are specific from the technology perspective, but they apply to what we're doing across the board. It should be our goal that the various contributors fold together to generate positive mission outcomes and improve services for our citizens. And that's why events like this are so important, because significant transformation doesn't happen unless we break down silos. One team can't drive it all. So when we have united purpose across agency mission, acquisition, financial discipline, technology, operations, and our vendor capabilities, that's when we achieve great things. So I'm here to talk about how we achieve those great things together, and it's particularly poignant as we're opening the new fiscal year. What are those great things that are on the horizon for all of us? So first of all, continued IT modernization. That should actually never stop. It's something that should be on our agenda all the time. Not just now, not just part of this administration, um, but as part of the way that we use technology as an accelerator to improve across every single mission and the way that the government operates. Whether that's in areas of infrastructure like EIS, movement to the cloud, continued application rationalization, engaging with our citizens to design enhancements and capabilities with their service needs at the center, and becoming more mature in how we use different types of capabilities as a service. That's, that's changing not only the technology, but our operational infrastructure. And those are important changes, and those are gonna continue to be at the top of our agenda. Data. You're going to hear from Karen Dunn-Kelly during this conference. You're going to hear from a panel about how we use data inside the government, but our responsibilities outside for our nation, for research and development, national security, and to ensure that we are leaders in the world for automated technology. So that means some specific things for us here in the room. Priority data sets. Those priority data sets for this year, geospatial, financial management, and continued sharing of data externally that's going to support research and development for AI and other automated technologies. You're actually going to see the final year one plan soon. I'm very excited about it. Karen's going to give you some hints. What's been very important is that that has also had a very significant dynamic of getting feedback, not only from inside government, but outside from academia, and a very important dialogue about how we drive citizen trust, how we understand the ethics, how we protect civil liberties, and how we make that critical data available, but still ensure privacy and trust that's been bestowed upon us by the citizens. It's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. If anybody in here is tired of hearing it, sorry, you're gonna hear it till the end of the month. Um, 
but you should think about it every day. We will not stop focusing on cybersecurity measures and activities and increasing our posture across every single agency. So what that looks like for this next year is a couple of things. Continued fidelity in our supply chain space. Understanding what's operating on our networks. We are going to continue to look at the risk and ensure that as we acquire more services as a service and we leverage more commercially available capabilities, we don't change and we continue to increase the bar that we have for security. And we understand what that means. And we have the same level of diligence and security expectations with our providers as we hold federal agencies to delivery. And that'll be very important. We want to use new tools to continue to make year-over-year -year impact. And what I mean by that is working capital funds. I'm excited by the four agencies who are pursuing additional authorities for working capital funds this year because that's the way that we take the savings and, the op and the, um, what's generated within agencies to help support year-over-year -year transformation. Um, I'm also very excited today. I know I've seen folks on their phones that um, this morning we announced two new Technology Modernization Fund awards. And that, I, I am, uh, I'm going to clap because, even if y'all aren't, come on, it's morning. Morning. <laughs> um, you can see more information about that later this afternoon, but it's two projects that we're operating on paper-based processes to serve citizens. And one of them even used triplicate copy forms. I don't know about you, I don't even know where I can buy triplicate copy forms anymore. I certainly haven't seen them at Staples or anything like that. But paper-based processes. So ways that we can take every single lever, every measure that's offered across our agencies and through our partners and public-private partnerships to accelerate our journey forward. Um, so on that, check out the TMF website um, for later details today. And then also, this year, I'm excited about our shared services journey. As we continue to move from planning and consideration and standards building to actual implementation. We're going to talk about that in other areas, particularly around payroll, but agencies who are working to provide services for all of government, but in a new and innovative way, as the broker and as the manager of a marketplace of solutions that will stay current and modern for mission support types of services and critical services, we all agree we're trying to accomplish the same thing. So that helps us serve mission, provide better services, and puts us in a position to be better stewards of taxpayer money. So I've highlighted a couple of things that are going to be on the agenda from a technology perspective, but I hope, regardless of what discipline you're in the room representing, those are some of the things that are on your agenda. Because I'll go back to how I opened. We make impact, we drive impact, working together. And to use the power of modern technology and unleash the capabilities that we have with data, we have to ask different questions, and we have to work together differently. 
OMB Deputy Director for Management, Margaret Weikert. In, in the 21st century, agility powered by IT, powered by data, and powered by people is how leading players execute and differentiate and build trust. And that's what, at its very core, the President's management agenda was designed to help coalesce the work both in the government but also in the private sector around the things that help us deliver mission, service, and stewardship in the 21st century. When I looked around and I saw agencies with ancient, moribund technology, it's obvious, and it was always obvious to all of you, that IT is at the heart of some of our challenges. But if it's our only priority, if we only think about modernizing technology without building in service quality, citizen orientation, agility, we'll fix something for a time that will then be outpaced by change in technology in the broader community. And so one of the things that's been really amazing to me is the public-private partnerships represented in this room. We put out in March of 2018 a series of ideas, you know, not only around IT, data, and people, but we also had 14 cap goals with very specific agendas around uh, shared services, around category management, around people. And this room represents people who heard the call to action. Two and a half years ago, I got to government and I said the words RPA to some of the folks in OMB, and nobody knew what I was talking about. And I, I said, well, don't think about little robots running around on stage. You know, think about little pieces of software that automate old practices, and people were still kind of like, nah, you can't do that, because you're going to displace people. And nobody, Congress, nobody will let you do that. Well, two years later, how many RPA projects are there? If, you, if you're involved with one, raise your hand. Okay, two and a half years from zero to however many hands just went up. That represents hours and hours and hours of effectively wasted effort of people who had good intentions wanting to serve customers. And now, with robotic process automation, they're better positioned to serve customers directly versus doing menial tasks, non-important, repetitive tasks. I, the Small Business Administration, I know they've automated a ton of things that allow them to get loans to people in affected areas after disasters. So that piece of technology is having a major impact on helping people rebuild their lives in response to disaster. The Gear Center, who's heard of the Gear Center? Okay, yeah. Um, the Gear Center was a construct that actually came out of something much like what the congressman mentioned about um, thinking about the private sector wanting to do something to support the mission and not being able to accept a gift. Illegal augmentation um, was a thing I had never heard of before I came to government. And the Gear Center was a construct designed to help us work together 
on shared research and development activities that help move forward our service objectors in government without running afoul of many of the very well-intentioned rules and procedures that were designed for a different age, an age where you had a set amount of requirements that wouldn't change for 10 years. So you went through a, a waterfall process of doing development and procurement. In the 21st century, we can't afford that. Everything moves too quickly. We have to do co-creation. We have to do constant innovation all the time. We're never done. And that shouldn't scare us. That should empower us. We have to take a break. You just heard from OMB Deputy Director for Management, Margaret Whitekirk. And before that, Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer. Whitekirk and Kent spoke at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference that took place earlier this week. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. After her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference that took place earlier this week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Federal Drive's Tom Temin and I sat down with Federal CIO Suzette Kent to discuss where she sees IT modernization, the federal data strategy, and her other priorities going in fiscal year 2020. Suzette, always a pleasure to catch up. You too, Jason. Your speech at the Imagination Nation ELC conference hit upon a bunch of different themes that I think we've heard you talk a lot about. But let me start with the news, and that's the Technology Modernization Fund. Two more words, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and USDA. Just give me a little bit more about those two awards. Why, why did they stand out among the tens or dozens that you probably received for the uh, TMF board? The obvious things, they represent very significant modernization initiatives moving from legacy, not only legacy systems, but extremely antiquated process. In both of these cases, they were very paper-heavy processes that create a longer timeline as well as could present case opportunity for more errors and um, questions the fidelity of, you know, some of the information. And so those were very exciting pieces. And in both cases, the agencies had already made some investments, so they knew what they were doing. They had a very solid plan, and the award from the Technology Modernization Fund helps accelerate getting those done faster instead of just little increments each year. So it gets the benefit to the citizens faster and the payback faster. So, so those were kind of the, the big things, common things. That's why they fit you know, in technology modernization. A little bit about each of the initiatives. In the case of the EEOC, in automating how some of the information and case data flows, not only inside the federal government with employees, but some of the state and local governments as well, it's an opportunity um, to digitize that process and to move the case management system uh, to something that is much more modern more responsive and more comprehensive. So we're very excited about, you know, that because it is a benefit not only inside the federal government but for state and local. In the case of the uh, specialty crops award that was the one to USDA, this is actually the team that inspects all the fresh food um, that is moving in the fresh and some of the um, slightly processed. So it's 60 billion pounds of food that go through this process. And some of the food that goes through this process um, supplements school lunches and our warfighters' uh, combat rations. And this 
process was based on triplicate paper forms. So when when and, and if you think about it, it's fresh food, right? The, the the value is getting it from the supplier to the consumer as fast as possible. We were using a paper based inspection process that relied on triplicate forms and reentry of data and you know error laden and um, or, or potential for errors. And they had embarked on a modernization effort, but they realized if it could go faster, um, we could ensure both from those who are supplying the food to those who are receiving a faster, more efficient process. And we were really excited about supporting that. Again, solid plan and a, a team that is incredibly focused. They even brought in the wooden versions of those fruits and foods that they inspect that used to be part of the process to actually look at. Um, and there's ways that we can both, you know, do the assessment and the documentation in a way um, that's much more efficient. Had EEOC or USDA tried this before or had this been one of those long-term goals that they just couldn't get over the hump? Or Because it sounds to me like a paper-based process. If nothing else, a lot of agencies have at least PDF'd those paper-based processes. So there's fewer and fewer agencies using paper. What was the kind of background of, of kind of those projects and why the, it made sense for the TMF? I don't know all the history on the EEOC side, but I do know the part of the reason that they came to the TMF is that it had, um, because they had information coming from multiple sources, it took them you know a while to, to get those harmonized. But when they started the initiative, they realized if they could go faster, they could complete implementation of the new process and get more consistent actually in their processing and how they manage. So um, they believed in the payback. Um, and the TMF was a way to accelerate that, you know, deliver the, uh, the broad good, and they've committed to sharing some of the uh, deliverables around how they managed a process that's both federal and state and local. And that was something that was uh, unique that the board was very excited about. One of the things about the the awards, and I think it's, I think uh, when I saw the press release, the first thing that occurred to me was USDA again. And and how do you kind of balance that? Because how many agencies applied? I don't know if you know that offhand. And then how do you, you know, when you said agencies, hey, what about me? They've gotten three now. There's probably a little bit of like, is this unfair? Is this, is, are they the pet? You know what I mean? Like, like, how do you kind of balance that, that the reason why you pick one over another? Because obviously the TMF board's process is... Well, no. I'd love to answer that question because what I would say to the other agencies is apply, bring forward a project. Um, so we've had over 50 applicants. Um, if we would have awarded all of them, it would be over $600 million. But what the board looks for is a set of criteria that are very consistent, and they've been consistent across um, all the awards that have been made. You know, they meet the objectives that were set out in the law. They have a very clear payback. The agency leadership is committed and involved, and in many cases, they have already committed dollars, and this is, you know, an acceleration, or the team has done a pilot, so we have a high, a high degree of certainty about what kind of outcome and what's the expectation. And we all know that USDA has made a commitment about extreme modernization from the secretary down. And I will just say that uh, just kind of like being at bat, that the number of swings that, you know, you take, you're going to hit some of them. And I would challenge, you know, USDA has come 
many, many times. And I would challenge other agencies to do the same. And, you know, if the board is going to continue toward those worthy projects, and um, we ask repeatedly for more agencies to come to see more projects and you know i would keep that invitation out there and open the current projects aside from the two just awarded do you get a sense of how they're doing i mean you do they check in with the board they have to give kind of um updates is there anything without getting into obviously maybe the specifics do you get a sense of trends how things are moving forward every project that's awarded has to come to the board every quarter and they have to report. And in fact, um, I know, Jason, you and I have talked about this before. When an award is given, that doesn't mean that particular agency gets all of the money. The money of the award is very often tied to production of certain deliverables and meeting certain sets of expectations. So when they're coming in those quarterly reviews, they're actually bringing forth the deliverables, they're reporting on the project progress, and they're asking for the next tranche of money. And that is a way that we ensure that results are being delivered and that the board is very prudent, you know, with the funds. Um, We're seeing... We're seeing, you know, great progress. Um, un- you know, unfortunately, we had to make some adjustments because of the shutdown. Some agencies were more significantly affected than others, and we've seen some uh, we've seen some shifts there. But the projects are on track. We actually got some of our first money back, which is a great thing. And there are some artifacts that are being produced by some of the projects that aren't being made available uh, across the CIO Council and through that. So. That was, for some of the awards that we made, that was one of the asks, is your experiences we want to share with other agencies. So whether it's HUD's movement from COBOL to Java, where they have shared, you know, their plan um, and some of their estimating tools, or it was GSA's legacy database migration, where they created a playbook. Those are things that we're really excited about as those projects make progress. I have to ask now the money you got back can you give us any more details either the agency or how much or even generally speaking it was part of their spend plan which because there was five or six seven projects do you know which are you able to say which one yet we're going to post it on the website each of them have a spend plan that is something that we share with congress so you know when money goes out and when we expect money to come back in and what that looks like i think that's the probably what I've heard from agencies is the biggest concern was the payback model. Can we pay it back? Because a lot of this is cost avoidance versus real cost savings. Because, okay, legacy email, I'm, I'm paying $50 a seat, now I'm paying $30 a seat, but that $20 is not in my bank account per se. So I didn't know if that that's why I think that's it's such an important milestone that you guys hit. How much money is left in, because you just we're just entering 2020, Congress is still debating the budget, we know that, but how much carryover from 18 and 19 is there? Again, that's going to be posted today. There have been some adjustments you're actually going to see posted on the website. We actually had one project, and this is, you know, as an example, Department of Energy. During the shutdown, some of the labs proceeded with the initiative, and they did that through some of their own funds. So energy is actually going to reduce some of what they originally asked for. So you're going to see some of those type of adjustments, which... I'm excited about because that shows a healthy management of, you know, the funds, yet we're still meeting the overall uh, sets of objectives. So all of that, both what those adjustments are and the new awards are going to be posted. We have to take a break. My guest today is Suzette Kent, the federal CIO. The federal drives Tom Temin and I sat down with Ms. Kent after her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference. 
You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. After her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference that took place earlier this week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Federal Drive's Tom Temin and I sat down with Federal CIO Suzette Kent to discuss where she sees IT modernization, the federal data strategy, and her other priorities going in fiscal year 2020. You mentioned in your speech at Imagination Nation as well around data. Obviously, data is the new oil we've heard many times as the old, uh, now it's an old adage, it feels like. Talk a little bit about the geospatial data and the financial management data and why those data sets are so important for the government moving forward. The federal data strategy is such an important initiative, not only for inside government, uh, for how we improve, you know, delivery on mission and services, but to support, you know, our economy, research and development um, externally and national security. So the three priority data sets were geospatial. That aligns with the geospatial act. I'm going to come back. So so there were some elements of the law as well as historically, if you look at where have we had success in gathering data, making it available, making it available in a public way that, that promotes jobs, that promotes um, our economy, and the mission of many, many agencies, you know, geospatial ha- has been um, a, a phenomenal success story. So that's going to continue. That is a focus, and, it, and it's an increased focus. Um, financial management is the second. And that is to prioritize with agencies as we seek to improve in data inventories, tools, quality of the data, how we tag and label data, and how we use and share data, financial management helps us address issues with waste, fraud, and abuse, visibility of of how programs are executed, and and many other things. We can see that through the financial data. And then the third area of data is data that has been deemed high priority externally to support AI research and development. And so we we got the input on those data sets from two public data calls. Um, And so you know, we heard from industry and from academia what are the types of data sets, the access mechanisms, and some of the purposes um, that for which they want that data. Now we're working through with agencies kind of how we address that. But there's something a little bit more important in those first two data sets. The disciplines that by which we make data more broadly available require not just fidelity in the data, but updated ways that we make it available, whether that's secure enclaves, whether that's APIs, um, whether it's common standards around what the data looks like, as well as an ethics framework for how we make it available, for what purposes, how we interact with citizens, and, and how we use the data. Financial management data and geospatial data have less personal information. Um, so it lets us build the muscles and the maturity in some of those practices while we are concurrently um, addressing some of the things you will see in the data strategy like ethics frameworks, um, ability to de-identify data, other type of secure tools around monitoring use of data, and how we interact with customers. So what the expectation is with consumers when they provide data, it's our responsibility to tell them what we intend to do with it. Um, So those things are much more complex with other types of data. So by starting with this set of data sets, we're building the muscles, the strength, the infrastructure as we prepare for moving into some of the same practices with more sensitive data. 
whatever happened to data.gov? Because that seems like the forerunner of all this going back a dozen years. Data.gov is still out there. I think uh, when I last looked, don't quote me on this, but it's pretty close, 284,000 data sets. Um, We've improved tagging that data. We've improved the searchability. When you go look at it, it's by kind of uh, topic matter and different types of tags. But that's a very binary relationship. It's somebody says, hey, this is a good data set. I'm going to put it on data.gov. You can download it in a couple ways. I don't know what you're doing with it. Have at it. We can't use that same mechanism for all data. And also, the data that's on data.gov, in many cases, it's because agencies chose to share that data. Now, they might have chosen to do it because of a constituent request or research and development or some other kind of purpose. Um, But it's also, uh, it was an outcome from an intent to share data and we have an opportunity to make that continue to make that any better. But yeah, data.gov is a is a great utility. I look at how many data sets are out there, and I, I actually look at the use information. So, what are citizens using, and and why, and who is downloading it? Because that helps us. It helps inform what we're doing going forward. Part of the the effort around AI, I think you guys you talked just recently about um, AI strategy, AI policy. I think is is on the way. Will that policy touch upon a lot of these things around that we're talking about with the, with the data side, or is that more just internal to the government AI policy? But a little, little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, I was say, let me see. If I get... We shouldn't be talking about use of automated technologies of any type without ensuring that there's data fidelity and accuracy right beside it. That technology being successful is dependent on the quality of the information. So I don't separate the two and our goals when we speak. Yes, the policies in some cases will be separate. How they uh, the oversight is applied and how um, the professionals that actually have to do the detailed work are, are sometimes um, in different sets of disciplines. But there is no separation of, of those um, pieces going forward. So when we talk about AI, it assumes, in all cases, a quality you know, set of data for the purpose for whatever it's being applied. Because the big concern in AI, and I've seen this a lot in academics too, is bias. And so the data sets that you provide often either can produce a biased result or not. So how are you going to finesse the question of bias, uh, especially for researchers? That might be their very objective is to, is to have no bias. I'll go back to why did you start with these data sets, right? We're starting with data sets that, you know, there's not a lot of bias in wind speed or wave height, right? So, so, so those are a little bit better. But, um, you know, humans have bias, and how we understand that and we apply uh, frameworks to the way that we look at data to ensure that the wrong types of um, perspectives aren't represented is are, are disciplines that we're building, right? And when we talk about improving um, our workforce skills around data science and, you know, we're doing some reskilling things with data right now, um, we just align CDOs in all agencies. We are asking agencies to put more um, training dollars into Im- improving what I would just say lift our overall data literacy. That's how we move down that path. But we don't have it solved. And we, um, we have good dialogues with other industries. 
who have um, who are a little bit further ahead in this journey and who have learned some of the practices, but it takes us back to data. So training data sets, clarity of the question that we're trying to solve, the number of the, the volume and the amount of data that are used in developing these types of things become critical. Two more things about data, then maybe we'll shift to another topic. But um, you just said you just aligned CDOs and asked more agency to put more money in training. Can you go into the, those two requests, or, or is it part of the 2021 budget request? Is it something else? Both in the data strategy and foundations of evidence-based policymaking had things <laughs> around data and roles and responsibilities. We were trying to harmonize those. They, they did not come out at the same time. They, they do have some nuances of difference. And foundations of evidence-based policymaking will actually be implemented over a four-year time frame. So there's pieces of guidance that come out in different pieces. But what, what I meant is our first goal with foundations and in the data strategy was to define the expectations of a, of a chief data officer, um, kind of that, that set of responsibilities, and commonly share that and understand that with agencies. So some agencies that already had chief data officers, it was minor modifications to what they were doing. Others, they didn't have a chief data officer. So that, that agency had to have a lot more dialogue around what is the value that we're going to get out of this? What, and, and what do we want to accomplish? And how, how are we going to do these things? We've also made commitments to be a data-driven government, right? And there's lots of examples in the CAP goals where we're trying to use data. And when I use the word data literacy and learning agendas and training, that's around how do we take the broad workforce, not just a data officer, not just the IT professional, but anyone who is working with data, whether it's informed policy making or it's program evaluation or financial management acquisition, all those, they have to understand what we're intending to do with the data, where the data is coming from, how it's derived, and why we're using it. When it comes to CDOs, agencies have placed them where they've saw, saw best. And I think the last thing that you guys want to do is be prescriptive about the CDO must do this or must be in this. At the same time, agencies had a July deadline to, to name a CDO, several named either acting CDOs or dual-hatted their CDO with their CIO. Uh, what kind of conversations are you having with agencies to really ensure that the CDO uh, has the old seat at the table? We were intentional in not defining a specific reporting relationship. We were very um, focused on the activities and the responsibilities of that it were underneath the purview of the person who is named as the chief data officer. So so what that gave agencies the opportunity to do is, absor- is look at those roles and responsibilities and determine what they were already doing and where those sat, but also absorb those things that might be new and make determinations about what is appropriate for their agencies. I expect as we go over the next four years and we see other things that come out of not only use, but as we kind of walk up this path of improved maturity, we may see some shift. But the conversations that that we have had have been about more around getting started and where is the initial work effort. And many of the alignments reflect where they think there is more new work rather than things that they've already done. Um, But agencies serve different missions. For some agencies, keeping their data private, secure, 
is the mission. In others, like National Science Foundation, the mission is to share. You know that. So what they want to accomplish is different, and the types of investments they need to make, at least in the short term, based on the data strategy and the first two steps of foundations, are different. We have to take a break. My guest today is Suzette Kent, the federal CIO. The Federal Drive's Tom Temin and I sat down with Ms. Kent after her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. After her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference that took place earlier this week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Federal Drive's Tom Temin and I sat down with Federal CIO Suzette Kent to discuss where she sees IT modernization, the federal data strategy, and her other priorities going in fiscal year 2020. Uh, IT modernization, as you said in, in the speech, uh, it's it's not a beginning or an end; it's a continuum. One of the ways that the administration has been expecting agencies to modernize is through the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract, the EIS contract that's out of GSA. There was a September 30th deadline that I think a majority of agencies unfortunately missed. Not not unusual or not the end of the world by any means, but from where you sit in, in OMB. Are there any concerns on your end that EIS is moving too slowly? Is there any concerns on your end that agencies are not using it to, if you will, accelerate their their pace on IT modernization? There is a broad spectrum of things that agencies are being asked to do. And EIS is an important part of that infrastructure journey. But that's really difficult work in some agencies. And I recognize I've had very pointed conversations with agencies in balancing uh, strategic objectives, mission objectives, and risk. And in some cases, they have to align things that may be a higher priority with some of our EIS activities in a way that's not disruptive or doesn't take on more risk. We will, and we have to complete the EIS work. Um, And I'll go back to an example with one of the agencies, and I'll put it in the terms of some of the data things that we want to do. When we look at making data available more broadly, we have to go through the infrastructure upgrade to be able to do that. And we've had quite a few agencies who've come back and said, hey, wait, I can't get this done with the cloud until I do this with my infrastructure. And so... If we package those sometimes a little bit differently and it's going with those big initiatives, um, that that is helpful. So I see the work being done. I see that they are thinking about it strategically. It is on the list. You know, sometimes are, are there trade-offs that we have to make? Yes. Um, but even the ones who may appear to be behind schedule actually know what, you know, kind of what they're doing and um, where it fits, and they're all very aware that as they go through their cloud journey and a, a bigger journey with data availability, that's um, a requirement. When you're reviewing plans, or you've seen agencies' EIS plans or their solicitations that they're putting together, do you see that modernization peering through, or are you seeing they're going to modernize, but because this is a 15-year contract, initially they're going to just move and then they'll modernize. What, what, again, every agency is different, but what's some of the trends you, you can point to? Uh, across the board. Um, in some cases, you know... And is that okay that it's across the board? Because initially GSA had said, we will only give you an extension if you're modernizing. And I don't know if that, and, and that's going to come from you, not from GSA, to be honest. We know that. You know, OMB is really the one who's bringing the hammer down. But but so I guess if you're not seeing modernization in the short term, is, is that okay? 
Well, let, let's talk about what we mean by modernization, because some of those moves have been more about cybersecurity, security and resiliency. And just because I didn't change the nature of the application itself does not mean I have not achieved some of my modernization goals. In other cases, they have completely kind of refactored and separated the application from the data and they... they consolidated things into different service delivery models, and they do that as part of the transformation. Those are all modernizations. Um, it, it, it is a healthy dialogue when the agency is understanding those and they're looking at, again, their risk, the capabilities inside their agency. You know, that's the challenge sometimes. And then, you know, kind of what partners are at the table to, to work with them. Um, in some cases, you know, I'm very supportive of agencies who are making a fast move if it's about cybersecurity. You know, we, we want to see them do all the right things for how they serve mission and serve citizens and, you know, digital um, government. But if that is better done in a modern environment and the total timeline of change is actually better, um, that's a prudent decision. And then finally, I know we're almost out of time, uh, the Federal Acquisition Supply Chain Council uh, something you've been following closely. Just talk about maybe your role and where is it going next? What, what are the next things we should see from it in the next you know, three, six, nine months? So supply chain is a critical part of our overall security and security of federal networks as well as, you know, more broadly, uh, some of the things affiliated with national security. So Grant Schneider uh, does chair that group. And the, you know, charter is, is going through review processes and very soon um, we will also follow with a strategy. And what's very, what's important in the way that that group is constructed is it brings together a broad perspective from the agencies who have a role in understanding how we identify risks, how we truly explore and quantify the risk and how we make decisions about what actions we're going to take. So there's going to be, you know, a lot more detail coming, but that's a, that's an, a very important step. You know, last year, if you look back when we had to react to a couple of things, we had to put all that together on the fly. There wasn't a consistent process. There wasn't, you know, a, um, a group in place to have discussions that really examined all of the impacts. And that's what we are looking to do going forward, to make sure that we make secure decisions, but also decisions that can be communicated and managed in a um, moderated fashion. Suzette Ken is the federal CIO. Suzette, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much for your time. Great to talk to you, Jason. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. The Federal Drive's Tom Temin and I sat down with Suzette Kent, the federal CIO, after her speech at the 2019 ACT-IAC Imagination Nation ELC conference that took place earlier this week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Hey, electrical contractors, I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better 
ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb/contractorbetter. You made it here finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that. Not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.